the job I was doing 10 years ago, I wouldn't even get hired for at this point because there's so much domain expertise required to actually maintain a social channel. The listening, the data analytics, the harvesting of insights, the ability to communicate, the ability to um, uh, leverage and influence internal stakeholders and knock down. I mean, it, it's a it is a, a such a multidisciplinary job. I wouldn't I wouldn't get the job I had just five years ago, probably because the pace of change. Right. It's amazing, Adam. I mean, sometimes I think we forget here on the show because we do this every week and we've been doing the show since 2012. And, and it's like when you look at your kids, like, you know, your kid has grown, but until you look at the marks you made on the door jam, you don't realize just how much your kid has grown. And and no kid in social maybe has grown as tall as our guest this week on the podcast, Adrian, who is now the global VP of marketing at Patron. And as he just said, the the nature of the social media role has grown so complex and so multifaceted that even now he is a, a global vice president of marketing for the whole brand. And he's not even sure he could have gotten the social media job he had five years ago. We, we talk about this and you're exactly right, Jay, how, how quickly this has changed, but because we as social pros are so close to it, we don't see that change. We, we've gone from as as the as you made the analogy in the show of there's not a radio department because that would be silly to going from there's a specialty team who does social to now trying to teach a person to fish and empower everyone to be social pros to and now kind of you know it going back and that we all need to be social pros no matter what we do and where this is going to look in, in four or five years. Adrian is a perfect representation of when you can take those skills of storytelling and authenticity and genuineness that we talk about each and every week and turn it into an amazing career trajectory. One of my favorite episodes in a long, long time, because we talk a lot about how the spirits industry has changed uh, since the pandemic, how Adrian's own philosophies about marketing and about managing a team have changed. And I just want to reemphasize this for you. Um, Adrian's been on the show in the past. Uh, Adam and I have known him for a long time. Adrian mentions this in the episode. Ten years ago, his job was writing tweets for Radio Shack Corporation managing their Twitter account, writing tweets. And now he runs all of marketing for the most well-known spirits brand in the world. So people ask us all the time, hey, is social media a good career path? Can you do something other than social if you start in social? And I think, as you'll learn in today's episode, the answer, my friends, is most definitely yes. Not necessarily easy. Doesn't happen every time, but it it can happen. One of the things to help make that happen is making sure that you're staying up on on all things marketing, all things business, not not just social. You know, you, you can't get you can't get pigeonholed uh, in 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 social media. You got to understand what's happening, which is why you need to read things like the report from Adam and his team at Salesforce about AI. It's called Einstein's Guide to AI Use Cases. All great artificial intelligence projects in any form and fashion of marketing start with an interesting use case, like why should we use AI at all? And there's a lot of use case possibilities out there, and it helps to narrow it down. So what this Salesforce team did was they created an easy three question, only three questions, a little quiz to help you find your perfect AI use case for your business. It's super slick. I want you to check it. I'll just take you a minute. Go to this URL and see which area of your business uh, might benefit most from AI. Go to HTTP colon slash slash BIT dot LY slash Salesforce AI. All lowercase on that. Bitly slash Salesforce AI. Super 
Cool. All right. Without further ado, if you have time, if it's an appropriate occasion, grab yourself a small little glass of Patron tequila or a margarita and tuck yourself in for this episode of the Social Pros Podcast. He is back, the one person in the world, actually one of the two people in the world who have a job I would quit my job for. (laughs) First job, Drew Carey. Drew Carey, if you're ever sick of hosting The Price is Right, I will take that job tomorrow. I will sell Convince and Convert this evening. Second job, my friend Adrian Parker, Global Vice President of Marketing for the world's greatest spirits brand, Patron Tequila, rejoins us on Social Press. It's been like three years. Adrian, welcome back, man. Awesome. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Adam, for having me. I'm so delighted to be with you guys again. So much has changed since the last time we talked in the world and in our business. So I'm excited to share and also learn from you guys. I'm a big fan of what you guys have created here. Uh, Thanks so much. Last time you were here, uh, we were talking a lot about your uh, VR application uh, where where you were having bartenders and other interested people use the app to sort of see the process of tequila making at Hacienda uh, Patron in Mexico. I know you still have uh, those kind of app uh, circumstances now, especially in a pandemic where you're not face to face with your customers, bartenders, other spirits, influencers in the same way that you all used to be. How important is that kind of digital experience? now? Oh, it's it's critical. I think, you know, so much of our business has gone virtual. And I think the, you know, whether it's luck or whether it was us being smart, probably a little bit of both, our ability to use things like Amazon Alexa to get uh, craft cocktail recipes right into homes. Uh, we're using Google Home. We're using uh, Apple, uh, Microsoft Cortana. I mean, you name it. We've built up this reserve of not only technical expertise, but also the ability to distribute it. And so still using virtual reality to take, you know, tours of our hacienda in Mexico um, has become, I think, a competitive advantage for us. You know, we're not a, you know, we're not a technology company. We're a tequila company. But I think the the reality is as a brand with a story and a heritage uh, to share, technology has become that accelerant for that. And so for us, you know, we, we, we've, a, we've an enviable position, but it's also afforded us a great deal of uh, distribution, I think, muscle to continue to tell our story, even during a global pandemic. Crazy. I want to I, exactly. I drill down that a little bit with regards to the voice app. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. examples of truly useful uh, voice applications, as you mentioned, available for Google Home, Amazon Alexa, Microsoft Cortana. I'm not sure if you're on Samsung Bixby yet, but tell the folks out there how the app works. I know many, many social pros listeners have uh, uh, smart speakers in their home or their office, and maybe they'd like to make themselves a recipe this evening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're on, um, you have an Amazon Alexa or you're on the, um, you know, Amazon uh, Echo platform, it's Ask Patron. And it it originated, it's funny, we had a, you know, innovation session in San Francisco with all the smart people. And we had all these ideas of how we were going to like use technology and innovation to be first, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a really meaningful way. And the last idea in that deck in the appendix was this idea of, you know, at that time, voice assistants were, weren't even, they, they weren't around. So, hey, we can hack uh, Amazon Alexa and you can have a conversation and make a cocktail. Oh, really? That's cool. And since then, we fast forwarded, you know, I think it's about two and a half years later. Now it's become uh, really this heartbeat of how we engage with our consumers. And the whole idea is that that same uh, physical experience you have talking to a bartender, telling him your recipes or telling her your flavor profiles and then batching a handcrafted cocktail, 
why can't you do that virtually? And so we actually had bartenders from all across the world, about 500 different uh, recipes are online from about 100 different bartenders, upload the recipes. We taste, test, verify every single one uploaded to a platform. So now we can distribute that content to consumers all across the world who are able to get handcrafted recipes from actual bartenders, right? Uh, you know, powered by Patron. And so it's a great way uh, to use the voice technology to make it applicable. And then from there, you can plug that same um, content, right? That taxonomy uh, into a, a chat bot, into multiple things. So once you have it for Amazon, you can port that right over to a, a Microsoft Cortana kind of skill set into chat, et cetera. And so it, it really became a differentiator for us. I'm glad you mentioned it. I think it's something that a lot of people don't fully understand that the conversational taxonomy of voice apps is very similar to the conversational taxonomy of, of chat apps. And that we actually partnered with a company called Voiceify that convinced a convert that has software that allows you to, to write it once and then extend it automatically everywhere. So write it once, it goes on Amazon, goes on Google, goes on chat, which is a huge time saver. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people in digital think of voice apps and chat apps as separate initiatives. And, and I guess at the consumer layer, they are, but the underpinnings are very similar. So it's, it's cool to hear you, uh, you do that. You mentioned that this is an app for consumers. One of the things I've always thought about, and maybe this exists, uh, you would certainly know better than I would, but sometimes, you know, you go to a bar and, and you ask the bartender for a cocktail. Maybe this isn't a, really a cocktail bar necessarily, or it's not a particularly experienced bartender. And they're like, I don't know how to make that, or I got to look it up in the book, you know, or whatever. Like my theory is why isn't there like a super advanced Ask Patron type app that makes all the cocktails? Bartender just has, you know, an, an earbud and it's like, hey, Siri, tell me how to make a screaming Viking. Uh, and then they can make it. Why, why doesn't that exist? You know what? I'm working on it. Now, <laughs> no, I will say this. We actually have done uh, some research with bartenders and consumers really getting into the motivation of cocktails. And I think there's been this threshold of consumers who are cocktail curious. And I think you guys probably find that category like Jay, Adam, you guys know more than an average consumer about either tequila or mezcal or any number of spirits. Right. But you're probably still a little intimidated to like you know, be making handcrafted cocktails. And so we found, you know, your prosumers and that ability to educate you as well. So I can't divulge all of our bat secrets, but I can <laughs> say in our utility belt, there are some innovation teams and ideas about bringing the best of handcrafted recipes home where you can physically make a, a, a cocktail, but do it with the brand you love. So uh, that's just a little asterisk for a future conversation. We definitely need that. Got it. Coming back. <laughs> Adrian, it is great to have you back on the show. So much has changed since the last time you were here. I know one thing is you got a um, a big uh, promotion. So we're, I know Jay's going to ask you a little bit uh, about that here in, uh, in, in a little bit. Um, I did have a question, though. Uh, you know, where we are and where your brand is, is at a really interesting intersection. Um you're a spirits brand. So that, that makes us as marketers and as social media pros kind of look at things a little bit differently because it's a different industry. And secondly, you're a premium uh, brand. Um, and that with it brings a kind of a whole different level of, 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 of awareness and, and how you, you manage it. So my question for you, sir, is, is marketing a spirits brand today as we record this in June of 2020, different than a few months ago? And is marketing a premium and a super premium product different today than at the first of, of this year? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, gosh, pre-COVID, I think there are a number of truths and best practices that I think, you know, we might have honestly taken for granted in terms of not only premium badge brands, but also spirits brands, right? Um, But there's also, I think, a lot of trends from consumers that we're able to take advantage of. I think one of the really um, key things we found with consumers is they're drinking um, less but better. So they're drinking uh, quantity-wise less, but quality-wise, they're actually drinking higher premium marks, right? And consumers are now more discerning. I mean, just five years ago, no one cared how how you made uh, a vodka, a tequila, a rum, a whiskey. No one even knew, right? I mean, and now they're asking. Not only are they asking, consumers are so so much more informed about uh, the sustainability. So are you taking care of the environment? Are you taking care of the people who make your tequila or who make your spirit as well? And, you know, as we sit, you know, it's like June 2020 with, you know, all the heightened sensitivities of not only um, like social awareness, but also p- political awareness and environmental and health, right? If you sit during the pandemic, those are questions that brands, I mean, historically, especially a luxury brand, you never really had to had to have a good answer for that. And the reality is there's always been this, a veil between consumers and their supply chain. And so when you order a, you know, a thousand dollar pair of, of leather shoes, technically it could just, the leather could be put on in Italy and still have that badge value, but not be sourced from Italy. Cars are the same thing where one of the top BMW plants in the world is in, you know, the Carolinas. It's not in, Carolina, in Germany. Yeah. 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 South Carolina. So that's happening all the time. So I think, we're, we're starting to demystify the supply chain to the fact that, you know, and for us, particularly for Patron, there's a difference between tequila making and tequila marketing. Right. And I think you could actually market a tequila, a logo, a bottle, a commercial and not make it. And the reality of a, a lot of uh, different, um, you know, I think manufacturing uh, stories is that where you're actually making it and you're not marketing. So I think for us, it a lot it of bourbons a, are that way. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. By far. You, you guys can Google, you know, like bourbon family tree. And you'll see, you know, there's like six distillery families that make every single thing you're making. And, you know, it's the same thing in, you know, automotive, et cetera. But for us, you know, we're one of the few, you know, less than 1% of tequila brands actually make their own tequila at their own distillery. 1%. The rest, it's a, it's a mass manufacturing process. Doesn't mean their product's uh, less quality. It, it's just the reality of how it's made. So I think as consumers dig into those details... I think now brands have an opportunity to to shout those from the rooftops, not only, hey, the, the quality of the of the process, but also, you know, quite honestly, in a pandemic, you know, our budgets are constrained. We're much more conservative. And so all those things matter so much more now than ever before. I mean, words like empathy, hope, um, solidarity, uh, commitment. Those weren't in any of our briefs just a year ago. I mean, a few. I don't know if you work for a children's hospital, maybe, but. For the rest of us, we weren't talking about that. And now we're talking about it. It's interesting. Being in the spirits category, we see at least reports of an increase in spirits consumption amongst the public. But of course, that is all taking place off-prem, off-premise in the home, as opposed to on-premise in a in a bar or a restaurant, they're starting to see a pendulum swing back the other way. When that happens, when when the the way your customers access your product is solely or nearly only at home, as opposed to through the the bar distribution channel, do you change your social media approach, either the messaging or the tactics or the channels accordingly? Yeah, I, I think you know part of what we've shifted. 
to and from, right? It was less about the channel, more about the occasion, right? So it used to be the channel was not only a channel for retail where there was a store or a restaurant or a bar, but also the channel, social, digital, et cetera. And now all those have merged, right? And so, well, IGTV, is it social or is it online video? Because people are consuming more video on there than they they before. Um, If I order a um, bottle of Patron now, online on Drizzly, it's actually coming from the liquor store down the street. But if I want to go to get to, to go cocktails from a Mexican restaurant, I can actually have them deliver. So is that it, 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 it's all blurred. And so I think as marketers, we focus much more on the occasion. So what's the intent or motivation of the consumer wanting the product and less about the channel? Because as, as we've seen in, in a pandemic, the channels are will shift depending on a store or uh, a local, uh, you know, government governance and regulations and how they're opening. And so, yeah, we focused a lot more on, you know, I think just the, those occasion based marketing, which has allowed us uh, to be much more, I think, in, impactful. You know, I think during the pandemic, a lot of what we would have done before has shifted. And so a lot of our social is much more uh, utilitarian in nature. Right. It's more bottoms up where to buy it where to drink it. And we're keeping it very, very simple um, in a way, you know, I think people are reaching for familiar brands, right? And so, and customers and, and retailers too are looking to stock their shelves with familiar brands. No one's taking a bet on that yeah. unknown X, right? Cause you know, we're all cash strapped and constrained. And so for familiar brands, it creates an opportunity for us to entrench and reinforce those loyal relationships um, as well. But yeah, I know about 30% of our business is uh, it's called on-prem. So that's restaurants, bars, et cetera. That business is gone and it's slowly coming back. There's no scenario where that makes up for, you know, uh, the, the, the slight rise in business in, in the liquor stores and retailers. And so, yeah, we're absolutely having to lean into digital commerce for sure, but also be smarter about how we invest. I'm glad you mentioned Drizzly because the last time you were on the show, Adrian, Drizzly didn't exist. For Social Pros listeners who aren't familiar with the app, it's essentially Uber Eats for booze. Um, and and you, uh, you you go on the app and you say what you want. And then as Adrian mentioned, it's not like they're holding inventory. It is really like Uber Eats. They go to your closest liquor store that is Drizzly enabled, take it off the shelf for you, bring it to your house. It's getting drunk for the lazy man, which makes it one of my favorite apps. Um how how much of an impact has that kind of it's not DTC in the classic sense, right? Like I can't go to Patron.com and you should go. There's a fantastic website, by the way. Um uh PatronTequila.com, I think it is actually. Yeah, correct. Yep. Um and and you can't just like, okay, you know, buy, you know, two liters and check out, um, pay with PayPal. That's not legal, at least in the US. But Drizzly and those kind of intermediaries sort of get you towards that direct-to-consumer model. Do you feel like over time, as consumers adopt those kind of apps for spirits purchases, as opposed to just food or other things, that that's going to be a demonstrable share of overall business for you? I hope so. You know, the U.S. historically has been laggards in all kind of direct to consumer from groceries to to drinks. Uh, a lot of it just due to, you know, you, you guys travel, you go to Asia and everybody's, I mean, you're ordering everything on your phone device. It's all direct to consumer. Vending you know, machines. Yeah, yeah, vending machines, all of it. Like there's no such thing as cash. They look at you funny if you try to pay with like any physical cash and they'd rather not even take it. Um, and, you know, uh, as of a couple years ago in the U.S., I mean, less than call it, you know, 3% of uh, consumers were using any kind of uh, online ordering for drinks or for food. We're a very in-person, physical uh, type of culture. And overnight, so our business has grown two to three times 
during the pandemic in terms of our direct to our direct to consumer digital or e-commerce business because people are shifting those habits. And so my hope is that not only do we protect that business, but the big hurdle is the corresponding legislation. Right. So a lot of the regulations or the barriers between where you can sell, how you can sell, who could market and, and who could distribute uh, alcohol. And so overnight, literally in two weeks, we saw whole entire states change their rules and legislation. So we know it can be done. My hope is that we preserve that nimbleness and that agility to just, you know, be smart, be responsible, make sure they're, you know, legal drinking age. But, yeah, make it easier and much more consumer friendly for you to get the get the drinks you love. So I'm hoping our business continues to grow, but that share of our overall business should continue to thrive as consumers get more comfortable with ordering, you know, food and drinks from home. Adrian, I want to follow up on that a little bit. I last week uh, had an opportunity to sit down with a leader at one of the largest kind of food delivery delivery app uh, organizations here in the United States. And he was remarking much what, what you've said and what we've seen in, in some states like Texas, where you can now have liquor to go uh, from, uh, from, from restaurants and things like that, recognizing that so much of their revenue comes from that. And he was kind of looking at how all these things and these temporary restrictions that have been lifted, will they become permanent? So my question for, for you, sir, is are you kind of seeing the same thing in terms of will these these kind of arcane in some in some cases, liquor restrictions be lifted. And how are you using social and marketing and communications? Or are you to either a kind of measure kind of what your consumers are thinking about all this and b trying to encourage those stakeholders that these should be more permanent, uh, you know, kind of rules and regulations? Yeah, no, I, I hope that we continue this momentum and a lot of it to be very candid is uh, is profit based, right? Everybody needs to get their cut. So, you know, after prohibition, right? I mean, you saw that the tremendous economic opportunity for spirits. And so, you know, if the, the supplier goes to a distributor, distributor goes to a wholesaler, wholesaler goes to a retailer, retailer goes to a consumer. I mean, everyone's taking their cut. And, and, you know, and I think that's, you know, a part of our economic model is that where, we, as we know, we see it even parts of Western Europe where you can Amazon, you could order spirits. Uh, you can go to grocery store as well. So we've seen this model thrive outside the United States. So my goal and my hope is that we can rethink our supply chain. I think COVID put us in a situation where no one had a pandemic brief. And so we all had to start from scratch and rethink our supply chain. The whole thing was infected from people who farm logistics, transportation, I mean, restaurants. And, uh, you know, the service industry is 16% of the American workforce decimated in a matter of weeks. And so if you look at those trends, you see we've got to rethink how we do a number of things. I think the supply chain is one where I think we're going to see consumers, but also the business to see the value in taking a much more modern approach and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, less friction, but also looking at purchase intent for us, you know, we do measure not only how many people come to us and buy a bottle, but the purchase signals from, Hey, are you going to a store locator from a tweet on our website? Uh, people who go to our recipes first and then go to order online, you know, have a three X increase in their purchase intent or likelihood. And so we measure those and we know that being at the right moment at the right time is so, so important um, as well. And so, and especially as a, such a, a visible vocal brand, you know, we're, we're the number one most talked about premium spirit brand in the world for the last four years, people have talked about Patron 
uh, and consumer social channels more than any other spirit. So we know that we have that bent, pent, pent, pent up demand. I think it's our responsibility to make sure we, they can get it easy. So, you know, three clicks or less, you know, if you want to order it, you want to gift it, you want to drink it, or you want to serve it, we should do that. And so we're building up infrastructure, going back to our technology discussion. We got to just make sure it's so frictionless so on their terms, they can have those opportunities. And in many ways, we've always been right at the edge of the governance. So as soon as something opens up, we're able to tap into it. And so my hope is a year from now, I'm able to, while we're talking on a podcast, send Adam and Jay a bottle of Patron. You get it in, in you know, 30 minutes or less. And by the end of this podcast, we're all doing a, you know, a toast or maybe a shot, depending on, you know, your preference. <laughs> I like that. I like your vision I like of the that future. A lot. Yeah, your vision of the future is matching my vision of the future. <laughs> you mentioned uh, kind of in passing, Adrian, that you know there is no pandemic brief, right? There wasn't a a playbook, but because you are now global VP marketing, uh, although you come from social, you have a much broader, obvious um, set of roles and responsibilities now in your career. Will there be a pandemic playbook? for the future, right? I mean, there's been rumors that, you know, this is, could happen again, not just this virus, but other viruses and, and other kind of weird black swan events. Do you feel like as a global VP of marketing, it is your responsibility to have that in case of emergency break glass plan next time? Yeah, I think as a leader, I feel a, a huge onus and obligation to prepare my team for the unpre- unpredictable and I think part of that comes with not necessarily planning, you know, what catastrophe or what tsunami is going to hit next, but preparing an adaptive, flexible team of professionals who are entrusted and enabled with the ability to build plans in real time. And I think what we've seen in COVID was a great pressure test. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy. So, I, I, you know, it feels uncomfortable to say, yeah, create a great opportunity for us to flex our adaptive muscles. You know, this is a real crisis, a real tragedy with real economic and health impact. And I think um, in, in spite of those obvious challenges, I think what it's shown is that as a leader, you know, it's it's moving from having smart teams to healthy teams. Like a smart team is, you know, we're doing the right thing for our business, financial acumen, business acumen, et cetera. Healthy team, though, it's I'm decreasing politics. I'm increasing the speed of decisions. We have very, very low bureaucracy, very, very autonomous uh, and flat decision-making and you have to have healthy teams to do that. You've got to have trust. Uh, you've got to have a model where, you know, you can go from location loyal, where people had to be in office to prove their loyalty, to location list. I mean, I don't care where you are because I trust you to kind of do your job. And so I think we're going through that process now, building out that as a not only a, a response to change, but build it as a competitive advantage. You know, I think so much of the leadership journey, uh, you, me, myself, we joked, you know, from you know, writing tweets for Radio Shack to now, you know, being a global leader of a a prestige brand is for all me, you know, the leader was the editor, right? You bring the things to me, I adapt, you go back, fix them. I green light, I send the project or the thing to print. I am the Caesar. I go thumbs up, thumbs down. Not anymore. I mean, I'm the enabler, right? The team is is totally, I think, has the power and the obligation to, to do that on their own. And I think only way to do that, though, is change how you work from, you know, I think people as tools to people as solutions and really empower them to, to kind of build those on their own. And I think, you know, a lot of, you know, I was into it right before um, Patron. And so in a, a SaaS software kind of environment, that design thinking is a part of what you do. So you're used to people kind of running their own things and and small experiments. I'd say in a lot of consumer packaged good companies, uh, especially spirits, 
we actually weren't that advanced a few years ago. I think now we're moving to a model where we're able to be much more nimble in our decision making. And leaders are, like I say, we can't see around the corner to see what's next, but we're building resilient teams that are able to respond, adapt, and evolve because they have you know access to the right data, the right decision making principles, but also just the right trust. Well, spirits used to be really more of an advertising play, and now it's more of a marketing play, right? And so yeah. you have to be more adaptive just because you've got so many more tactics uh, that are interlaced. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. right? It was all about the image, uh, the badge. You know, we're a rational purchase, right? I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we're not a you know million dollar. Well, I don't know about that. I don't. I don't want to say irrational. <laughs> like, let's, let's, you know, let's, you know, we are recording this. Don't say an irrational purchase. Yeah, but this way, right? Like the. It's a it were an achievable, I think, aspirational purchase, meaning, you know, and for most of us, $40 on a bottle, $50 or a $15 cocktail, you know, that's that's not a big deal. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, that's like a treat yourself moment. That's a, sure. that's, sure. that's a step up. Absolutely. And I, I think I think that opportunity um, to really represent that aspiration, but do it in a way where you're still accessible uh, is going to be a hallmark of luxury brands where before it was all about exclusivity. um, it was all who wasn't in the room, velvet ropes. And now it's more about uh, experiences, bringing people together. Uh, and any moment could be a special moment. You know, it's not waiting until you're 50 to get the Rolex, right? It's it's a Rolex moment now that could just be, you know, having a nice, uh, you know, a drink of tequila while I'm talking to Jay and Adam on a Friday. I mean, that's my moment. So, yeah, it, 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 it's a different Bro, I'm 50 and a half and still waiting. So, I mean, it's, uh, you got to revi- <laughs> revise, the, revise the metaphor. <laughs> Adam? I, I want to I talk about these, these, these experience piece because I think, Adrian, where, where spirits marketing is right now, because of what you've talked about with the on-prem versus off-prem and, and you know, and on-prem just, just going away in terms of consumption, so too – have those marketing experiences. I mean, you walk into any bar and there's a reason that the, the premium bottles have little LED lights underneath them and they're glowing. They've got the bar mats that have the Patron logo on them. You may have a neon sign or other signage or etched glass, um, you know, margarita glasses that have the Patron logo. All these type of things are impacting and, and bringing the Patron brand or whatever brand it is to mind. But when you don't have any of those experiences, because people are not in a restaurant, they're they're drinking and consideration of of, of a premium brand, you know, with their butt sitting in their sofa at their home. How has that changed your marketing mix? And and are you learning anything from this? Yeah, it's, it's totally. I think evolved how we think about um, our business. I'd say you know, if you look at Cinco de Mayo, is a great example, right? It's the Super Bowl of tequila. I mean, it's one of the top five, uh, you know, highest consumption occasions of the year. And you know, that happening during a, a global pandemic, that all shuts down. So whereas we would have been doing uh, parties across the globe, uh, bartending nights, sponsorships. Uh, kicking off a summer tour where we're doing festivals all across the globe, all of that is is, is largely gone. And I think a part of our pivot has been to uh, maintain those um, experiences, but do them virtually or, or do them in, in a different way. So a great example would be instead of doing a Cinco de Mayo event, we ended up hosting 20 bartenders on Instagram Live, letting them uh, host you know some some margarita classes and demos 
And then obviously you can order your bartend, your uh, margarita kit to be to bartend at home on a Drizzly or Instacart, et cetera. Funny thing is we end up using our TV buy. So a TV commercial, we use that to be a trailer to lead you to Instagram, right? Whereas before, right, it's all about the, the TV spot was a hero. Now all the media became the trailer to get people to an Instagram live moment, et cetera. And guess what? I mean, you know, I, I don't want to make a habit of this in next year's budget, but with the largely uh, reduced budget, we were able, you know, to actually um, over deliver and beat last year's uh, Cinco de Mayo in our business. So think about, you know, we had half a million margaritas to go ordered on Cinco de Mayo. So people who were going to restaurants, et cetera, half a million, wow. I mean, would have never done that in a, in a, a typical year. You know, having, you know, our, our purchase intent, our volume of our brand, our social mentions, everything increased because we had to pivot to a model where it wasn't dependent on a physical experience. And so I think you'll see us take, um, you know, physical events will come back in some form, in some way. And those will still have a, a, a role to play in our arsenal. But by and large, you'll see us start to move to a model where the physical event um, isn't a, a requirement. It's just an accelerant. But you can still have virtual opportunities to, to power those experiences. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, changed how we work, much more adaptive, much more nimble. But also we've seen that, you know, if, if, if people love your brand, they're going to find a way to get it. And half a million margaritas later, it's, 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 it's paying off. Adrian, you are without a doubt the poster child for, for something that we we've talked about here on social pros for, for so long. And, and you've already kind of mentioned it from, from writing tweets, uh, at, um, at, at, at Radio Shack to, to being a, a mark, digital marketing leader at Intuit to being digital marketing leader at Patron. And now, global VP of marketing for, for all, all of marketing. Um, I think you are what many of our listeners uh, aspire to do. And that is take the insights and knowledge you've learned from, from this, this industry and, and, and broadening it. What are the one or two things uh, that you have learned in, in social that you believe make you a better and more effective general marketer and communicator? Yeah, I mean, it's a, such an interesting, inelegant journey. And I, would, I couldn't have planned it uh, myself looking forward, right? And some of that is just the ignorance of what you don't know ends up being an opportunity uh, because you just don't know any better, right? And so I think for me, you know, 10 years ago, literally right, just sitting at Radio Shack, first social person hired ever, you know, I, they gave me a year to start social at Radio Shack. And it was like, hey, if you mess up, we'll just move you to a brand marketing role. Because what I had done before, I was a, you know, a brand retail marketer. So, you know, you do campaigns or social digital would have just been one piece. And so take a year, figure it out. Okay. There wasn't anything to lose, right? And nobody was an expert at that time. And I think the fast forward a decade later and move to a model where I think, you know, I think that line and I think the strengths uh, I inherited during that time, and I can't say it was by design. So I, this isn't a case study in my career decision-making or management. No, I'm, it's, I'm definitely the, the fruit of uh, blessings, luck, and privilege. But I think the opportunity was storytelling and the ability to listen to consumers. I mean, it really was those two, I think, strengths. So one was there's always a story to tell, the product, uh, the behavior we're, we're trying to change, just that, uh, whether it's features or benefits, whether it's a sell or whether it's a handcraft story. And social hit at the time wasn't able to just streamline that process 
And instead of going through 10 briefs and 20 meetings through agencies and planners and strategists and, blah, and all those things are great. We still do those, you know, the formal agency process. It streamlined that model to the point where you could go direct to your consumer and your audience. And then now the audience was empowered. So that story became much more critical. And so, you know, my background is I'm a, I was a journalist. I was a PR uh, major in school and in, in journalism school. So I've always been about the storytelling. So I think that's been one strength that has always remained true. And then the second piece was just that consumer centricity, right? And social, it was the only media at that time. You didn't have the luxury of sticking your head in the sand and pretending your advertising or marketing was working. You would know what people thought about anything you put out in, in social immediately, right? Um, and so I think that that um, empathy with the consumer, uh, I think, led me to a path where I could uh, add that to a digital campaign and then add that to events and then add that to brand launches and add that to packaging innovation. Um, you know, all things that, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in the full spectrum, but I've been able to, to leverage that. But also, I, I'd say this probably is a, a third piece of that is leadership. And I think for so long. Uh, social was the last person invited to the table, last person to the meeting. And I think what what has flipped is that that empathy for the consumer has, uh, I think it makes people who have that social digital communications background uh, much more effective at being able to lead a, a cross-platform team because that digital thinking is what is what we need in, in all of our channels, et cetera. And so, yeah, I think that leadership of cross-disciplinary teams, whether or not you're expert in, you know, consumer packaged goods or spirits or et cetera, I, I think there's a connective tissue there. It's in, in this case, right, June 2020, so many going on. It's all about stories. It's all about consumers right now. And I think, you know, it's just created an environment where those skill sets are much more important. Now, whether or not I'm good at those skills, that remains to be seen. But th those are learnings I've just had along the way. Most talked about premium spirits brand in the world. I think you're doing all right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I would say. Uh since the last time you were here, you you mentioned earlier in the show, Adrian, that that you're thinking more around occasion and less around channel. Have you changed the way you deploy your own social media team? Do you have a different team structure and different roles and responsibilities and or have you changed your core social metrics uh, as a result of that that different thinking? That's an excellent J-worthy question. Ding, 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 gold star. Thank you, no, thank you. I, absolutely. I think I reflect on even my journey and then I think about my teams. The job I was doing 10 years ago, I wouldn't even get hired for at this point because there's so much domain expertise required to actually maintain a social channel. The listening, the data analytics, the harvesting of insights, the ability to communicate, the ability to... Um, uh, leverage and influence internal stakeholders and knock down. I mean, it, it's a, it is a, a, such a multidisciplinary job. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get the job I had just five years ago, probably because the pace of change. Right. So we went through all those models of brand as media channel, uh, brand as publisher, brand as storyteller. Right. So we've all seen those and we all wrote the articles or read them. Right. And, and I think now you we're moving to a model where, you know, kind of the, our brand is a platform that just enables our consumers, but also our employees. And I think a part of our uh, structure has has really uh, evolved to that. And so what our team now for, for Patron, uh, for sure, you know, we have the in-house uh, social media community manager. There's still a version of that that role where, hey, you're the first line of defense, the first responder for our social conversations, but you're powered by an entire organization. And so now our paid media team, you know, who also buys, you know, TV and print or out of home, 
you're at that social table. Our PR and communications team, you're at that social table. Um, our event team, hey, the events we do physically, the byproduct of a great event should produce some social exhaust or some social content that we could use. And so now social has become that heartbeat and all these teams are, are I think, rallying around it. So we have a dedicated you know, social community manager, but also the content that powers it. So a dedicated in-house social creative production person who doesn't necessarily produce all the content, but they bring their community with them. Right. So as you guys know, it's all I mean, for every one thing a creator can make, their community and their contacts can create 5x that. And so it's really been about creating a community where people you're hiring people who have the expertise and the domain skill set. But they also have the connections and the experience to bring their to bring their tribe to Patron. Uh, to leverage. And it's become so much more important uh, for our team to act not as a solution, but as a platform for enabling those solutions as well. And so that's a model you see us to continue uh, to evolve. But it's, you know, it's uh, social firmly built into the brand matrix in the team, not necessarily all by itself separate as a, as a silo. It really is just the heartbeat of the team. And it, it really does relate to all, all aspects of our marketing mix. Yeah, it's so great to hear you say that because we always foretold that as as the 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 eventual state of the union, right? In in social that that once social truly becomes uh, oxygen instead of water, I think uh, Charlene Lee first used that metaphor, where it's all around you as opposed to something you have to go go get or go find. Then having a a a sort of freestanding segmented social media department actually doesn't make any, a lot of sense it's it's uh, the same reason why people don't have a radio department like you know you still yeah. buy radio ads sometimes but why would you know you're not going to have a radio department with like a head of radio like well that doesn't even make any sense right and 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 so social is becoming the same way it's it's you know 10 years ago um we you know we were talking about social business right and the whole like the whole premise of social business you guys know many listeners know was that social becomes interwoven into every element of the enterprise and when that becomes the case then if we don't call it social business we just call it business right you don't have to you don't have to call it out uh, because it just is how we do things and, and we're getting there in, in progressive organizations uh like yours that have really baked social in as a layer instead of as an apartment so it's great to hear it's good yeah it's funny i um my previous role right before i took on the uh global head of patron i led the digital transformation for uh for great goose vodka this has had a massive relaunch and kind of reset the brand etc amazing kind of feat by an entire team of really smart marketers who, who made that happen i remember that digital transformation they went on it was what patron probably had went on three or four years prior I remember reflecting on, you know, it's the old adage. It's not really a digital transformation. It's just a business transformation. And all yeah, we got to call it something. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got to call it something. But it's like all things we're changing are just the basics of how we do marketing. It's just the basics of our brand. And I think, you know, I reflect on, you know, stat, you know, I think what 70, 80 percent of transformations, digital or otherwise, fail. Not because we don't do uh, we don't do the right thing. It's because we do too much. We yes. bought off more than we could chew. We moved too fast, et cetera. And so I think one of my learnings has been to move at the pace of peace and like getting that alignment, getting that in- internal stakeholders, but moving them on. And I think, you know, at a somewhat uncomfortable pace, but making sure people understand the rationale is so, so critical, especially at legacy organizations. Like I said, you know, like Adam, for you, right, you're at Salesforce. So you guys are born in this kind of cloud SaaS environment. So in many ways you have have an advantage uh, but, you know, in some companies, like I said, I mean, you're bringing, you're literally bringing 
ops and procurement and legal along this whole long journey. And so it's so important to, to build that uh, IQ and that EQ into that process. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't realize how how being a digitally native company how much of an advantage that is until you're not in that kind until of environment not in it, yeah. anymore. Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, wait a second, people don't know how to use Zoom. <laughs> now, what do we do? <laughs> Adrian, it's so great to have you back. It's uh, remarkable to see your journey. As uh, as Adam mentioned, you are the the Social Pros Alumni All Star Team for sure. It's now one of the most respected marketers in the world, and uh, rightfully so. It's always great to catch up with you. We appreciate it. You're kind. Thank you for that. We're going to ask you uh, the questions we've asked everybody here on the show, including you way back when. If you could give somebody one tip, somebody who's looking to become a social pro, what would you tell them? I would say make great mistakes. Make great mistakes early. Like fail really well. Um, The only way I think you're going to make a mark is to do things differently. And you've got to have that um, almost constructive dissatisfaction with status quo. I think when I started in social, you read all the books and I spent days just reading everybody's blog and book. And a lot of it was helpful. But I think you reach that moment where you, you've got to kind of go for it. Right. So where there's testing and, and I think, you know, so fail really well, learn what you need to know quickly. But also, you know, taking a risk doesn't mean betting at all. So it's not like you got to go all in kamikaze style on your social strategy, like build a career where you can test, learn and innovate. Um, and don't try to be a know it, know it all too soon. I think my mistake early on, um, you know, the fake it till you make it, it works to a point. And then at some point it's like, well, you actually needed to, to know that. So it actually would have been better to admit you didn't know it so you could learn from your peers. And so, yeah, I'd say make great mistakes early in your career. So you learn, uh, you get your instincts up you uh, get great mentorship and it, it just uh, gives you a great opportunity to, um, you know, to, to be a pro the, the right way uh, by always learning forward. And Adrian, if you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be at this point? I think I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I think it'd be The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. And nice. As you guys know, yeah. he, just, he just launched his own tequila. And so right now he's a competitor. Um, but no, you know, I've always admired him because he has proactively evolved his career personally and professionally in a way where he was always two steps ahead. You know, and, and he always uh, evolves forward. And so I just love the way his, you know, where this hustle is, you know, call it, you know, meditation or faith. He brings that to business and he's all in on everything he does. So I, 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 I've really enjoyed him during the um, pandemic, his kind of daily questions. Yeah. But he's such a massive brand, but he's also such a great person. And he's also, I mean, people forget like, and this is an African-American, you know, his dad was a black guy. This is an African-American business and brand that is doing extremely well. And he's transcended all of that to just be him. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think a, a lot of us aspire to like, be yourself authentically in business. And so I think he's a great example of a person who's done that in strides. And, uh, you know, at some point, maybe I'll have a Zoom call uh, with him. Uh, maybe not about tequila, because right now I, I need people to buy Patron and not his. <laughs> well, a couple of things. One, his tequila kind of sucks. And two, oh, I'm he's not one percent. I wouldn't make you say it, but yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say it. Uh, so there's that. But what a, what a remarkable life. I mean, you know, college football player, professional wrestler, right? Actor, 
advocate, activist, you know, truly a global brand, the highest future paid movie star, future politician, potentially, you know, highest paid movie star on the planet by some accounts. I mean, that, that is a, that is a crazy uh, fairy tale, but, but it's, it's not random and it's not luck, right? That guy uh, is all about the hustle and Adrian's exactly right. Always looking two steps ahead, but even though he is so enormous, he is super relatable. And and that's one of the things uh, I think is true about our guest this week on Social Bros as well. Adrian is a very busy man doing very important work and still took some time to be with us here on the show. We appreciate you very much for doing that. Oh, no, I, I thank you guys for having me. Any invitation I get, I always, always have to be on. You guys are making a market industry in your own way. And I appreciate this community you've built for us professionals to have people that we can lean on or resources that are actionable. Right. So it's not all in the clouds. It's like, hey, what can I do today to make a better content plan or a better strategy? So, yeah, thank you guys for having me. You bet. We appreciate it. Uh, good luck. Hope you get back down there at the Hacienda one of these days when they uh, open open things up again. He is Adrian Parker, Global VP Marketing Patron. Friends, if you're going to drink, drink Patron. That's all I ask here on the Social Pros Podcast. Adam concurs. I do. We will be back next week with another fantastic episode starring Adam Brown from Salesforce. I'm Jay Bear from Convince to Convert. Hopefully this is your favorite podcast in the whole world. This has been Social Pros. Social Pros.